0: It really brought us together as a family to be there for each other. But it didn't take away from everything that we'd experienced because, you know, no one deserves to have to, you know, outlive their children, whether it be for a week, whether it be for 20 years, whatever it is, right? Your child is your child. And having to outlive your child, giving, you know, giving them life and having it taken away, it's just such a... I mean, I can't even explain it until you've been through it. It's, it's, it's an emotion you can't even explain.
1: Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Simi Krishnan. She works in digital data strategy. Welcome, Simi. Hi, Roni. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really glad you're here. So from your accent, I knew right away that you were not born in the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about your early upbringing?
0: Sure thing so you got it I am actually from England more specifically I am from London um just the east side of London and that's kind of my where I come from it's where I was born and bred it's it's my home um and I moved to the US around uh, 14 years ago now and I've been and I live in the Chicago area
1: mhm and you're married with children and
0: is your husband also from the UK No, he's not actually. My husband is originally from India, but he uh, moved to the US when he was younger and he's kind of been here for a while now. And this is kind of where we've decided to settle and grow our family.
1: Mm -hmm. And so how was that meeting of worlds between the UK and the US slash, you know, having been born in India? Like what were your common ground areas and what were the areas that you had a lot of differences
0: um, you know it's it's kind of interesting because what I found with um, my husband is that we really had similar upbringings uh, regardless of being you know across the oceans it was very similar in that the way his parents had kind of instilled specific values in him was very similar to what my parents had um, kind of done and my parents being first generation immigrants to the UK you know it, I, I would have assumed it would have been slightly different but his parents were also extremely forward-thinking so it was a very very i think it was a very nice meeting of the minds mm-hmm. and it fit really well mm-hmm. and you had similar visions for your family and for how you wanted to raise children Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that was definitely something that was important to both of us. We, you know, we both wanted a big family. We're very, very big on family time. Family is ultimate for us, like spending time with our children and kind of giving them everything in terms of experiences that we can, monetarily whatever we can give them that, you know, we deem they deserve. It's just to us that is the ultimate goal and being able to provide them with this nurturing um, kind of environment that gives them the, uh, you know, ability to be the best versions of themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. And did you, when you were younger, did you see yourself as a mother?
0: Yes. Uh, Being a Mm -hmm. mom is definitely something that was important to me. And I wouldn't have thought that because, you know, I've been through my crazy days, you know, everyone has as a teenager. (laughs) And I never thought that it would be something that was important to me. But when I got to, you know, I finished university and I started working, I was like, I do really want kids because a lot of my you know my cousins and my sister was having kids, and I just kind of bond I saw I was like, I want that too. It's so important to me to have that bond because of the bond that I had with my mom and my dad it, it's huge, and it still impacts me today. Like I am so close with my mom. she lives in London, and I speak to her about four times a day. Oh wow. Yes, so I call her when I wake up, after I've had uh-huh. lunch, before I go to I'm, I'm very kind of like connected with her.
1: Has it been like that for a long
0: time? Yes, absolutely. Um, Specifically since my dad passed away, I I feel extremely... I feel it's extremely hard to be so far away and not be able to help her with daily things, you know, silly things. Like if she wants to buy a new TV, she has to do it by herself. If she wants to buy, you know, if she wants to get someone to help clean up the backyard, she has to do it by herself. So I feel kind of, Mm. I don't have that ability to be there for her because she's in London. I'm in, I'm in Chicago. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult, but you know, having this, ability to connect with her over, you know, video chat, phone, you know, seeing the, her grandkids every day. It just keeps that connection so alive that when she does come visit with us, it's like, okay, it's not that we haven't seen you in six months. Right. We totally saw you yesterday.
1: Yeah. And you, when you were in college, you you said later on, you kind of realized you wanted to have kids and you knew that was for you. What, what did success in your life look like for you when you were Coming up, what what did you envision for yourself, career wise, uh, romance wise? What what did making it look like to you?
0: So, for me, my career is extremely important and. There's nothing I can kind of you know shade over on that. It's extremely important. I've worked super hard to kind of get to where I am, and it's been uh, it's not been always been an easy journey, but it's something that I've really strived and you know wanted for myself for so long, and I finally feel that I'm in a place where I'm really happy with what I'm doing, and um, it wasn't always like that, right? So Mm -hmm. I so you asked you know what what did success look like for me? Success was definitely for me having. A really straight cut path in my career and having that balance with my family. And when I first moved to the US, I didn't have that because I couldn't work. And that was a really, really kind of reality hit for Mm -hmm. me because I've never not worked. I've worked since I was 15 years old. Oh. So yes. Yeah, so and not being able to work and then learning how to drive on the other side of the road. So not being able to even, <laughs> I was like immobilized. I couldn't move out oh. of my apartment. So it was really frustrating for sure. me. Yeah. It was very frustrating. And, you know, I had to rely on my husband, you know, he'd go to work, he'd come back and I have to go grocery shopping. He has to take me. I have to go to uh-huh. a doctor's appointment. He has to take me. I'm like, this is, I can't, I can't do this. So I am um, kind of really pushed myself and, um, After I had my daughter, I said, you know, I can't, I have to focus on myself now. You know, my baby is here. I have to focus on myself. And then, you know, it was a few very unfortunate events that happened that kind of put that again on the back burner. So it was a, it's been a long journey.
1: Right. And I know that you have said it's okay not to be okay. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about What unfortunate events started to unfold for you? Because the picture I'm getting is that you had a secure upbringing and a very determined outlook on your life. And it sounds to me, of course, with the other little things that happen as we grow up that kind of derail us, but that you were pretty much checking the boxes off. And it sounds like you were first hit with a little bit of uncertainty and and a little bit of dependence that you didn't appreciate when you came to the U.S. Is that accurate so far?
0: Yeah, I would definitely say so. I would say that, you know, like you said it, my upbringing was wonderful I really I mean like I said that bond with my parents and my sister we were such a closed unit it was fantastic and we never Mm. had that ability to have other people encroach on it and there's always other Mm -hmm. people encroaching on it right there's always kind of that ability for people to you know pass comments and pass judgment and it never felt that way and we had such a close-knit set of family friends that always stood by us it was just it was amazing um then when I moved to the U.S., I had none of that. I had no family. I had absolutely no friends. I had no job. And it was just, everything was just so, surreally not the way I wanted it to be. It was just not the way I wanted it to be at all. It was, it was hard hitting reality, as I said.
1: Would you say that that started this next phase of your life where things were not as predictable and things became harder?
0: Absolutely. I think that the way that things started unraveling really brought a different side out to me, I would say. This is something of me that I've never seen. And I know my family has said it to me too. You know, I've never seen you so, you know, not weak is the wrong word, but Mm -hmm. you know, so emotional because I've always been the one that, you know, I'll push through anything Mm -hmm. and everything because I want to succeed. But when, you know, things start happening one after the other, it just kind of brings you down and breaks you down. And I think I was at that stage and I had no support system around me. So it made it much worse than it, than it may have been otherwise. Do you feel that your
1: husband at that point understood what was happening for you or was helpful during this sort of, mm, I would say, like dismantling of the world that
0: you knew so far? He was, he, he has been my rock through everything. You know, he has understood my struggles. He has understood what I've kind of mentally have, have to go through the weight that was put on me. He understands everything and he's been so supportive. Mm -hmm. And I always say to him, you know, what we've been through can either break a relationship or make it stronger and i'm so thankful that we are the second part of that and it's mm-hmm. made us stronger because it it could have easily torn us apart
1: and can you talk a little bit about some of what happened to you that you feel could have put your relationship in jeopardy
0: sure sure so um so I, when i fell pregnant with my daughter um it was it was a was unwavering time because my husband lost his job um, and I wasn't working and it was a very strenuous time and that kind of kicked off this kind of downplay I wasn't able to enjoy my pregnancy it was Mm -hmm. a very you know upsetting time I wouldn't say it was a dark time everyone goes through it it Mm -hmm. was a you know 2009 recession everyone was going through it at the same time so it wasn't like oh my god I can't survive but it it was saddening Mm -hmm. right I couldn't enjoy my first pregnancy and then, you know, my daughter was born. It was fabulous. My husband got a job. It was finally, you know, this is great. <laughs> We're at a great place. And then within two months of my daughter being born, my dad suddenly passed away.
1: <sighs>
0: now that was um, extremely unexpected because he was extremely, I mean, he was insanely healthy, Mm. insanely healthy. He used to work out four times a week. There was absolutely nothing wrong with him. He just passed away in his sleep.
1: Oh, no, really?
0: Yeah, it was just shocking. It was a shock to the system and I was postpartum. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine all of those, I mean, hormones that are running through your body. You don't know, you don't even know how you feel. And then this amplified, uh, this just hits you in an amplified way. And it was just, oh my gosh, it was heart wrenching. And, you know, I still remember that night we got the call at like 3am from my um, from my cousin telling us what had happened and it the shock was just it it was just unbearable and it wasn't even that like post that to try and get to the UK to go and see, mm-hmm. you know, go for the funeral, I couldn't even leave because of this. I was on a, um, a, a it's it's a whole, uh, you know, immigration issue, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I was didn't have, I was waiting for my green card to arrive. So I was in a pre green card state. So I couldn't leave the country until oh. my green card came, and it was a disaster because you know I had to go to the consular on the day my dad had died to beg them to let me go. Mm. And I was sitting there for like six hours begging them they wouldn't let me go. And I'm just like weeping mm. on the floor. It was just, oh, my God, it was, I was holding my two-month-old baby, oh. my husband's with me. It was just, it was a disaster. And eventually, you know, after six hours, they let me, they kind of gave me permission. I got to go. Oh, wow. Spend time with my family. It was, yeah, it was, it was a very, very tumultuous time. I mean, with the hormones. It was grueling, yeah, grueling. You know, that was definitely, you know, the first big kind of rock to fall on our lives, I would say. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just it, and in the midst of all of that, you know, I um I got a call from my doctor who told me that, you know, um he had um, you know, done my post pregnancy, you know, scans and stuff and he'd found something odd and he believed that I had, you know, stage one cervical cancer. Oh, So it just kind of like, are you serious? Right right now, this is what I'm I'm like. It's actually like, uh, you kind of have to laugh because (laughs) I'm like, how how am I supposed to deal with all of this? Like, uh, how do I do this, right? Well, I just still
1: am stuck on that image, too, of you, you know, at the consulate trying to to get permission to go, which, I mean, that's a really, I mean, to imagine you crying and, and being there for six hours just feels like the beginning of such a, such a vulnerability and such a, such a weakening of whatever you had to build up for yourself.
0: It, it was, it was, Ronnie. when I tell you it was probably, that was definitely the top two worst days of my uh. life because I mean, the uncertainty, the, the sadness, the gut wrenching pain, and then having to beg yes. somebody to let me go to not be, be in any of control like of it
1: to to know that they were in charge because that's what I mean like yeah. this seems to be the part of your life where yeah I don't know if you realized it or or it just became the fact that you know it's very obvious what we don't have control of and that can be a really hard thing to go through and so you have them holding the, the, the strings, you have the loss of your father, and then you have this new unknown about your health all coming together.
0: Yeah, and it was just, it, it was so surreal. You know, when I think about it now, I actually don't know how I kind of muddled through mm, mm-hmm. because there was just so, so many elements coming in and, you know, trying to filter out what, what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. It was just so confusing right and it's it's just like a blur when I think Mm -hmm. about it now but I mean somehow we kind of figured it out we kind of thought to ourselves okay what's the next Mm -hmm. step what do we do and kind of we did when, when we're talking about my health we started you know medication and but unfortunately um it kind of um didn't work so they suggested that we go with a um, you know a procedure where they bottom uh, they remove the bottom of mm. my cervix, and so we went ahead with that. And it was it was actually super easy. The doctor was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was great actually. You know, I was up and walking within like four oh, wow. days. It was not painful. Yes, it was really good. And there was no ramification for future pregnancies nothing. or fertility, right? Nothing, no, absolutely nothing. And actually, they said that you know I and every single um you know. Um, pap I've had since then has been absolutely fine, no issues. So I've never had any issues in that respect, which has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. So those two years, uh, like one and a half years when we were going through that was very kind of strenuous. Mm -hmm. But since that surgery, it's been absolutely fine. And you, you hit on a great point. You said, you know, there was no kind of um, ramifications for future pregnancies. That was something that I definitely asked because we wanted to grow our family. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, I'm better. I want to grow my family now. I'm ready to do that because I need to focus on, you know, me and myself and do something for our family because I feel like my daughter and my husband had really been neglected mm-hmm. by me mm-hmm. because of what the things that I had to go through. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, okay, you know, let's 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 think about having another child, and you know, we did, and we got pregnant, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was in 2012. My dad passed away in 2009, so you know, we we were at a place where I felt comfortable that yeah. I could do this, and um, everyone was really excited. And but what happened was, the pregnancy in itself was extremely excruciating. Really, so I had. Yeah, I had like um, bleeding from like early on, from like seven weeks onwards. I would say I was bleeding, which which is totally normal. So mm-hmm. it's nothing to be really alarmed about. Um, but when um, I was around fifteen weeks, um, I started bleeding when I was at work, and uh, I was rushed to the hospital, and they told me that I had a previa placenta previa. Mm-hmm. So that essentially, you know, that essentially means your placenta is lying lower than it should. Um nothing to be con- concerned about. The only kind of issue maybe you'd have to have a C-section if the placenta doesn't move mm-hmm. on its own. So nothing to be concerned mm-hmm. about. You know, it's very common. So you didn't have to change your behavior or no, no. did you have bed rest? So no, no, at this time no, because it was just slight bleeding. It wasn't mm-hmm. too bad. So it was just slight bleeding. Um so she said, no, it's fine, you know, you know, modified um uh, you know, movements, no working out, nothing mm-hmm. like that. So that's totally fine. I wasn't working out anyway. So I'm totally <laughs>
1: fine with that. Um, it's a win-win.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a win-win, right? The doctor's telling me not to work out. I'm totally okay with that. Um but then um I remember this really clearly. It was Christmas Eve in 2012, and uh, my actually my friends had come to visit me to come see me, uh, and uh, I had uh, was on bed rest. Um, sorry, let me rewind back. Actually, so when uh, the doctor said no working out post that 15 weeks, around 17 weeks, I had another mm-hmm. bleed, and post that the doctor put me on okay. bed rest. So he did put me on bed rest around 17 weeks. So two weeks was fine, and at 17 weeks they put me on bed rest. So um, on Christmas Eve 2012, my friends had come to visit, and I remember this really clearly because Christmas is a really, really big deal in our house. It's hum- I We do it really big. I mean, it's where it's kind of our Christmas tree is like 12 feet. We do like it's it's a really big deal, and you know, um, and this Christmas, you know, I couldn't really. Uh, put my Christmas tree up to the way that I wanted my mom had come over to help while I was on bed rest so they did it to their best ability but obviously I was not happy with that <laughs> because you know I went to the whole house the way I wanted it and I couldn't do anything so um, my friends had come to visit and they're like oh you have to take Savi my daughter you know to downtown Naperville the lights are beautiful she'll love it So I encouraged my husband, I said, take her out. You know, she hasn't done any of the Christmassy stuff we normally Mm -hmm. do. Uh, She hasn't gone to see Santa or anything. She was three at the time. So he took her out and my friends left. So it was me and my mom at home. And um, he came back um, about an hour and a half later. And I said to him, you know, you need to help me. I need to go to the bathroom. Um, you know, because my mom is she could probably help me, but I'm bigger than her, Mm. so it's gonna be hard for her to, you know, carry me to help me walk to the bathroom. So I said, Can you help me go to the bathroom? So I went to the bathroom and like all of a sudden I had like six huge clots Mm. of blood Mm -hmm. come out. And I got up and I passed out. So I like kind of like whacked my head on the floor and I passed out because I wasn't expecting it and then from what my husband and my mom tell me you know they call the ambulance uh, the ambulance had to come in they had to um take me to the hospital I wasn't conscious at this time to my knowledge because I can't remember mm-hmm. it this is just what they tell me but I woke up when I was in the ambulance and I was contracting oh. and I was was a lot of pain and I didn't know what to do. And I was obviously screaming at the top of my voice because I didn't know where was I. I was kind of, I was in the bathroom a second ago and I'm in the ambulance and I I just, I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, they got me to the hospital and they gave me a shot of something that stopped my contractions and I went to sleep. And that's literally what I remember of Christmas Eve, 2012. And when I woke up, It was Christmas Mm -hmm. morning. And, I mean, that's not how you imagine Christmas morning in this hospital room.
1: Was everything all right? Did you have a concussion? or
0: No concussion, but I had lost a lot of blood, Mm -hmm. a lot of blood. And um, when I woke up on Christmas morning, the doctor came to see me. And so I think this probably happened. I probably got to the hospital, and they gave me the shot. It was around 3 or 4 in the morning. So uh, by the time I went to sleep and woke up, it was around Mm -hmm. maybe 8 a.m. And the doctor came in to see me and, you know, they told me, you've lost a lot of blood, Um, the baby looks fine, but, you know, we uh, are concerned. We can't stop your contractions. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, do something, Mm -hmm. okay? Like, help me, do something. And uh, I, I remember this one doctor I'll never forget her actually, she waited until my husband went home to pick up my daughter and my mom to bring them to the hospital because my daughter wanted to open her gifts Mm, with me. mm -hmm. So she, he was going to bring all the gifts to the hospital so we could open them together. And she literally waited until my husband left the room to tell me that I should just Uh, terminate this pregnancy because it's not going to go through
1: wait a minute she she waited do you understand why she waited till your husband left and no did you understand why she said that how many weeks were you
0: I was 22 weeks
1: and she said even though this other doctor said that the baby looked fine Mm -hmm. this doctor said you should terminate
0: this doctor said that this would not go through to the end and she advised me to terminate and I I was, I I didn't have anyone to Mm. talk to. I didn't know what to do. My husband wasn't there. I was just, and she, I, uh, I'm not going to mention her name, but I can't, I mean, I literally, she has had the wrath of me since then because I have complained innumerable times. And I've also found that there's a number of complaints against her and her bedside manner as well. So this is, I'm not the sole Mm -hmm. person that this has happened to. So anyway, to cut a long story short, they told me that, you know, We uh, are going to give you steroid shots to develop um, your son's lungs Mm -hmm. to make sure if he's delivered early, then we can make sure that, you know, he's okay. And they sent me home again on bed rest, which is fine. And uh, we thought, okay, we can we can hold off. We need to hold off until like um, at least 32 weeks. Right. I was 22 weeks at that point of time. So I had to hold off until um, 30. 30. If I can hold off to 32 weeks, I'm good. But within a week, uh, I went into labor Mm. and the steroid shots did not have enough time to uh, obviously take effect. And I went to the hospital and I delivered my beautiful boy at 23 weeks and six days. And um, he obviously was extremely weak and Mm. they rushed him to the NICU and uh, the kind of on the other side of the coin, because of what my body had gone through and the amount of blood I'd lost, um, I was in, ext- in an extremely fragile situation too. Like my temperature shot up to like 106.
1: Oh, no. And
0: yeah, and they had to give me an ice bath to cool me down. And then while they were doing that, they had to like, pump me to make sure that, you know, I could get enough milk to feed him. And my body wasn't ready to produce the milk. And, you know, I was using these hospital grade pumps to get as much of this milk out as possible. And it was just, I, I, my body couldn't handle it. It was just so, I was so weak. My body was so weak. My baby was so weak. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just a, a horrible, horrible, gut-wrenching situation to be in. And it seems like you,
1: I mean, am I accurate in saying that you had not recouped your strength emotionally or physically as of yet? Like you, you had just been in this ongoing chain of events where you were
0: continuously vulnerable and weak. And yeah, it just, it just, you got it. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I, I had not got to that point where I could just be okay. And it was just yeah. downward after downward after downward spiral. And this was just the ultimate, you know, rock bottom. It was just rock bottom because I could do nothing. I There was nothing I could do to help him.
1: Had they told you, did you and your husband have a sense of, I know what the optimal week, the week that was 32 weeks you're trying to get to, but had they told you what to expect or where you were in terms of, um, your baby's Ability to thrive being born at this time.
0: They said there's. They said that at 24 weeks was the bare minimum where they'd seen success. And even if they'd seen success, you know, there's extreme deficits um, such as cerebral palsy, brain bleeds, brain dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, emphysema and all of these things because the lungs aren't developed and Nian, my son was um he did have uh, he would have had severe cerebral palsy mm. as well as um he had he had two um two brain bleeds as well uh, as well as um emphysema so he had all three and um so when he eventually passed at seven days old he um, passed of emphysema Emphysema was the cause because his lungs just weren't strong enough. I'm sorry. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was, it, it was an extremely, extremely, oh, I can't even think about that time. Now. It was just such a, it was such a, like I said, it was a blur. And I had not even had the chance to recover from everything else that mm-hmm. happened. And this was just like the, I had, I was definitely on the lower, like at the bottom where bottom can go. Mm-hmm. I was lower than rock bottom definitely at that point of time.
1: Was your husband, were you in the hospital for that whole seven days or had you gone home?
0: Um, They sent me home after two days because I was okay. After they'd recouped my body, they sent me home, but I was at the NICU. My husband and I were at the NICU um, at the, you know, as soon as the sun was up till the moment the sun was down, we were at the hospital. And my, thankfully my mom was there to look after my older daughter. So I didn't even have to worry about her. So uh, my mom was with her the whole time. So it was just, me and my husband were at the hospital literally like 17, 18 hours a day.
1: You know, part of that trauma too is the actual event is so traumatic and, and terrifying. But in, in my, like, from my vantage point, trying to even have a regular morning or trying to even do anything in the house or with your daughter while the baby is in the hospital and all this worry is swirling seems to be... Equally is traumatic.
0: It is, and she sensed that. You know, she, my daughter's an old soul. Mm. She, she knows me. Me and her are very connected and extremely connected, actually. And she gets me. I know it sounds really weird to say yeah. that, but she totally, she, she knows. And uh, so she was so mature and so understanding that she never once, like, she literally refused to open her Christmas gifts until everything was okay. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. she saw, you know, mommy and daddy crying, like unbearably crying. It wasn't like a normal, you know, shedding a tear. She saw of sobbing and wailing mm-hmm. and she understood, you know, and I'm not, I can't hide that from her because this is the reality of our life, right? We lost her brother. That's our family. Yeah. You know, it's her brother. It's our son. It's my mom's grandson. You know, this mm-hmm. is all things that we have to face reality on and she was so amazing to that and even you know for his funeral we only had you know us it was only us there and it was so um, traumatic when we went to spread his ashes and everything but it really brought us together Mm -hmm. as a family to be there for each other but it didn't take away from everything that we'd experienced Mm -hmm. because you know no one deserves to have to you know outlive their children whether it be for a week whether it be for 20 years whatever it is right your child is your child and having to outlive your child giving you know giving them life then having it taken away it's just such a i mean i can't even explain it until you've been through it it's it's, it's an emotion you can't even explain it's so different than anything else you like i said i've had losses but losing a child is just it's a different it's a, it's a different path and it's a club that no one wants to be a part of but if you are you actually really cherish the other members because you understand what they're going through they mm-hmm. get you and they understand what you're going through and you can lean on each other and it's a it's a it's a long road to recovery
1: how how did that go for you what what were the next weeks and months and I don't know years like for you
0: and you know that really it was a disaster. I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. It was a disaster because what I did as I did so well. And I think I've mentioned it a couple of times. I put it on the back burner because I could not focus on that right now. I did not let myself grieve. I did not, you know, for the first month. Yes. I let myself grieve Then I'm like, no, I'm done. Same thing. I did with my dad. No, I'm done. I have to be done. I've got to focus on other things. Right. Did you feel like you were able to shut it down, though? I mean, maybe
1: not on the deeper level, but were you convinced that you had it compartmentalized?
0: I was. I was convinced I had it compartmentalized. And, you know, this is something that my husband and I always, you know, fought on because he's like, why are, why are you doing this? You know, we, we need to talk about this. We need to get it out. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm strong. I can come through anything. Mm-hmm. And this is what I did. And it was... For a year and a half, you know, I did not think about it because I did not want to, because I knew that if I did, I I wouldn't be able to deal with it. And so I chose to put it right there in the pit of my stomach where I didn't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And now, in retrospect, it was obviously the worst decision that I could have made. But also, when I got to that point of understanding my grief, I am now able to really work through it at such a different level. So yes, it was bad at that time that I compartmentalized it. But when I realized what I had done, I was able to grieve and understand and give myself this level of mental wellness that I had never given myself before. Never. Never. I had never. The the way that I treat myself now, Ronit, is something that I've never done for myself in my whole like 39 years of existence it's never something I've never prioritized my mental health and myself first ever it's mm-hmm. always been about what is that what, what do I need to do this what do I need to do this Wh- how do I get that finished how what does my daughter need what does my husband need what does my mom need it's never what does what do I need it's never been about that, you know? Do you
1: understand uh, how much of that was nature and how much of that was nurture?
0: I don't know. I mean, nurture, I would say, played a big role in it because, you know, my again, my parents were those first generation immigrants. They worked so hard, Right to do everything for us as a family. And that, to me, was a really key component of what I wanted to be. Maybe I focused so much on that that I let myself kind of, you know, fade away and just Mm focused on being successful as opposed to focus on my mental health as being the most important thing. And, you know, at that point of time, that was right. That was the right thing to do. But at this point of time, when I've got had so much trauma, you know, back-to-back trauma, that was not the right thing to do mm-hmm. because I could not heal after any single one of those events. Instead, the trauma and the the sadness and the hurt just kept building up bigger and bigger and bigger until it just burst. And I couldn't take it anymore. And then
1: it wasn't in your control anyway.
0: It wasn't. No, it wasn't in my control. hmm
1: So can you talk about what happened? I mean, if you pushed it aside and you you tried to move ahead after this certain amount of time that you deemed was appropriate or enough. Mm-hmm. How did you then embrace it or work through it and get to where you are now? What happened?
0: So it was actually on my son. So post um, losing me in, uh, we uh, got pregnant again which was something we both didn't want. We did not want another child after that loss, which is, which is funny because we both wanted a really big family. And after we lost Nian, we're like, no, we don't want any more kids. We can't, mm-hmm. we can't. The, the, that pregnancy just broke us. You know, I can't even think about having to go through that again. But we got pregnant. And funnily enough, it was the easiest pregnancy ever. And, you know, it was amazing. My delivery happened like uh, my labor was like 35 minutes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, it was literally the easiest um, pregnancy ever. It was fantastic.
1: Was that hard to was that I shouldn't lead you with that question, but how is that experience to I mean, how did you handle the ease of all that? Did that create any worry in you?
0: it was it it felt too easy I was like what's going on yeah I I mean
1: I'm Jewish and I'm always like I won't attribute it solely to being Jewish I'm maybe probably a little much I'm a worrier anyway but I always think something's gonna happen so
0: yes me too absolutely I was like this is too easy like what's going on here but (laughs) it literally that's it was that simple Uh like no issues in my whole pregnancy it was wonderful and I delivered him and I was you know I went into labor in the morning and within 35 minutes he was here oh my goodness it's never I mean you don't even hear about those stories but that's what my third pregnancy was it was amazing and but then when he was in
1: your arms you and your husband had him there could you relax
0: no I couldn't and that's when Roni I started having all of these kind of all of those feelings that I had kind of pushed down they started trickling back and it it wasn't all at once it's not like you know a a thunderstorm that hit me all at one point no you know these thoughts started coming back to me and I was like why why did I do that right why did I push that back why did I decide to you know go out as soon as um go out and you know spend time with my friends or you know go back to work why did I do that like who does that like it was it was instances (laughs) like that that made me think And what what was I thinking? And, you know, on his first birthday, I had a couple of friends over, you know, just a small party for him. And that was when I had this real epiphany. Hmm. I thought to myself, you know, I'm here after so much struggle with this child. With my daughter, with my husband, and we're such a close unit, but we're missing someone. We're missing a lot of people. And I'm not okay with that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's not okay that they're not here. I'm not happy. I'm happy for my son. I'm happy that he's healthy, but I'm not happy. I'm really sad. And that's kind of when I started working through my grief and figuring out that I have been putting myself second for so long, not even second, probably like right at the bottom of the list. Like my, my needs were never the, ever the most important thing ever, right? Mm -hmm. They were always, okay, if there's space, then, you know, let's do what I want. But I finally thought to myself that, no because i've been doing that for so long to appease other people whether it be you know my my w- team at work whether it be my you know family whether it be my friends whomever it is they're always getting a priority over me and i have not had that ability to ever embrace what's happened to me grieve for it and Ever even love myself because I've always been on this mission to achieve something or get to this end goal or mm-hmm. overcome this situation that I've never just been able to be me and discover who I am and how do I deal with this? How do I want right. to do Right, and with and this? you
1: mentioned that that is something that you kind of just um, embraced on your own that it's not because of a reason; it's just the way you operated.
0: Yeah, and. It was just, it was life-changing for me, Ronnie. Really. I mean, I can't even tell you. It was just being able to start grieving changed my perspective on so many aspects of my life that it's literally changed the way I live today. Wow. Yeah. It's 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 been huge for me. And people that know me will really recognize that change in me and see what I've see who I was to what I've become. And I mean, I, I unabashedly tell people now, you know, I don't want to, I, I'm not a people pleaser anymore at all, <laughs> at all. And that was a big part of who I was, you know, a big mm-hmm. part of who I was, was being a people pleaser because, you know, I don't want to burden someone with my grief. I don't want to mm-hmm. burden someone with my, you know, issues. I'll do everything to make everyone else happy, but you know, I don't want to burden them with my stuff.
1: Would you say, in a way that that you, the, one of the changes is that you're more vulnerable?
0: Definitely, I'm definitely more vulnerable right now. But I'm also vulnerability. I think is stacked against a strength that I never had before. But not a strength in um, pushing through, a strength in in um, embracing my faults and my flaws.
1: Right, which is that also I've heard before, and I know Brene Brown talks about this too, which is that vulnerability, people may think of it as a weakness, but it's actually an asset. And in embracing, it sounds to me like in embracing the grief that you were feeling that you buried, you allowed yourself to feel it. And then you didn't have to be afraid of what you'd feel if you felt it.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. That kind of ability to do that just it changed my whole perspective on how I even wanted to live my life.
1: But did you do that by yourself? Did you have help? How did you get to that?
0: I don't want to say it was all me because it's not all me, but I do think that, you know, my husband played a huge part in helping me get through this because he recognized the way I was dealing with my grief was not not that it's not normal, everyone deals with grief in different ways, but he's like, How are you doing this? Like, his constant questioning of me made me question myself. Hmm. Right? And made me sit down, look in the mirror and said, What am I doing? Like, is this what I want to do or is this what someone else wants me to do?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because they don't want to deal with my issues. Is what who am I? Right? Because after being, you know, around for this many years, I, li- I did not know who I was. And having that moment where I sat there and I looked at my son, you know, eating his smash cake on his first birthday and realizing who was missing from the room, mm-hmm. you know, that moment literally took my breath away because it made me realize that I'm not okay. I can say it as many times until I'm blue in the face that I'm fine. I'm not okay, mm-hmm. and from that I'm not okay. I got to the point of it's okay not to be okay because I don't think I'll ever be fine, and I'm okay with that because I lost a child. Right? Mm-hmm. If I'm ever okay with that, then I'm doing something that I'm not a. Pre- it's not me because I lost a part of me. That was a huge part of me, and that will never, ever, ever change. And I am never going to be 100% okay, and Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that.
1: Do you believe that a lot of people are not 100% okay and that that everyone feels sort of patched together?
0: I do, but I think a lot of people refuse to believe that they're not okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like to depict, um, specifically in the social media era, that their life is perfect. And, you know, it very well, maybe it very well, maybe well may there's nothing, you know, everyone's uh, perfection is their own. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that, you know, there's always something in your life that you, you're you not okay with and you don't necessarily want to address it because it takes away from the perfection you've created and the environment that you've created. And I really believe that to get to that mental health, the mental wellness that you want because it's so important, it's what, it's about understanding you as a person, understanding your self-worth, understanding your self-love and how to appreciate every aspect whether it be negative or whether it be positive, right? Because being able to embrace all of that and accept all of that makes you into, in my belief, this new person that is so much more powerful than this perfect, you know, depiction that you've created. Mm-hmm.
1: And so how do you get through the
0: tough days now? You know, there's definitely fewer tough days than there are, you um, easy days and then there are good days now for sure but the tough days come and they come hard and I let myself cry I let myself weep you know we I I I look through his photos which I actually have never shared with anybody only my husband and I have ever seen those photos Mm -hmm. um not even my daughter's seen those because they're to me close to my heart and they're for us only because that's our family Mm. and um that's my choice you know Previously, someone would have asked me to show it to them. I would have agreed. I will not now because that's mine and that's my person. That's my that's my son and my choice. Um, but those days, I, I I I let myself be. You know, i I'll if I want to uh, sit there and you know eat a whole tub of uh, ice cream, I'll do that because <laughs> I'm I'm okay. It's okay to be sad. Whatever I feel like doing, I will get through that day. I'll get through those days sometimes it's days on end mm-hmm. right His birthdays coming up in January. I'll have a very tough week because his birthday and his um, he, the day he passed are within a week of each other. So January is always extremely tough for me and you know for us as a family and we make sure to have those you know memories alive. We do what we want to as a family and it's it's not easy it's absolutely not easy but rather than push them aside we embrace them. And we allow ourselves to feel, you know, we cry. It's okay. We, you know, it's okay to laugh too. You know, you don't have to like be somber for the whole, whole day. You can just be who you want to be.
1: Yeah. Do you, do you think there's something you would want to say to your younger self? Like if you could go back and tell your younger self something, what do you think it might be?
0: Love yourself more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I would definitely say that that's one thing that I would say love yourself more because I think the art of self-love is so um, swept under the carpet because people don't want to, you know, be shown as being arrogant or thinking they're great. It's not about thinking you're great. It's not about being arrogant. It's about loving you. And learning who you are and being able to address that in every situation you come across in your life.
1: Mm -hmm. Simi, thank you for for taking time to share your story and, and for telling all about what you've been through and how you've gotten to where you are now. I'm so grateful for your time and for the insight you've offered.
0: Thank you so much, Roni, for giving me this kind of platform to speak about it because I think my biggest uh, my my biggest wish is, if I could, just help one person that's going through something similar or has been through something similar just to kind of understand that, you know, you can get through this. that's that's my only aim and hope out of everything
1: mm. Well, I appreciate it. I really do. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit ATECpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.